Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sample Size, the only news podcast that cares about science. I'm your host, Samantha Spears. And I'm your other host, Wildcard Cameron. Well, it's over, Sam. 2020 is finally ended. So now everything is good. And I have not looked at the news since the new year started. Would you like to <laughs> regale us on what's going on? <laughs> Oh, what a succinct intro. I was going to say how, oh, it's been so long since we've had an episode. We're back. It's 2021. I do not know what you mean. We keep a very regular committed schedule. (laughs) We did not have all sorts of very justifiable family stuff to deal with. All right. Well, for someone who hasn't been watching the news, Cameron... A lot has happened since we last recorded. I don't know why. Like, the way you started that sentence, I thought you were just going to start telling them what we've been doing and, like, how we've had (laughs) family stuff to deal with. (laughs) Okay, let's focus on the news. You're right. If anyone actually cares, you can tweet at us. All right. So, as I said, a lot has happened since we last recorded, and we're going to have multiple episodes probably just catching up on things. For example, the mutant strain that was discovered in the UK and... Pfizer and Moderna are starting to administer their vaccines, which is awesome. But other bad things happening, like the hack on the federal government. Oh, and yeah, the U.S. Capitol was stormed with rioters trying to stop the Senate from accepting the elector votes for Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah. that thing happened. The incredibly disorienting thing about living in slash near D.C. is knowing full well that it's happening near you, but it's somehow not like something like I feel like a lot of people when they're seeing the news is like, oh, this is like if you're in D.C., this is your life right now. It's like. Yeah, if you're on the Capitol or you're near it, but like a lot of people around it, we just knew that there's a curfew. We just knew that there was stuff going on. We didn't necessarily know, like have like on the ground footage of a coup happening. We couldn't just like get our binoculars and go like, oh, yeah, there's something bad going on over there. Yeah, it was weird getting the emergency alert on my phone that there's a 6 p.m. curfew in D.C. and then going, huh, I wonder what that's for. And then Googling it and going, oh, because the Capitol's on fire. I guess that's why they did that. Like, had no idea. Yeah. And as I understand, that's something we're going to get a lot into. But something I do want to say is, knock on wood, all these ideas we're going to get to talk about over the next few weeks will not age like milk. Like all the other headlines I've seen since 2021 started, like every single time anyone has made a claim about 2021 for at least the first week has immediately like the next day (laughs) an event happened that made it look like the worst prediction in the world. Yeah, unfortunately, though, people want to think that 2021 will be a magically better year than 2020. It's it's going to take a while. Things just don't magically occur overnight when the new year happens. Yeah. I'm sorry. So let's get into a little bit of what we can do to talk about it and maybe help. Okay, you're right. Let's get into the episode. So I mentioned the insurrection because that's sort of what this episode is about, but not necessarily the attack, but the consequences it had on Parler and the big tech companies. Yes. So Parler, as a reminder to anyone who doesn't know, First of all, I've learned recently, apparently it's possibly supposed to be pronounced parlay, but no one's ever actually confirmed that for me. Yeah, I don't believe that. Yeah, because it's supposed to be, there's supposed to be parlays. They're not tweets. They're not posts. They are parlays. So you can just say whatever fun alt-right thing you like to say on the platform and you parlay it to others. That is the whole premise. That is the whole premise of the platform. 
Now you're caught up. Or, you know, you could have referred our listeners to our earlier episode where we discussed Parlor. Actually, yes, because that episode is an incredibly important setup to a lot of the actual things we're going to talk about. In that episode, we discussed a lot of the philosophical ramifications about social media platforms acting as outlets. These are the very real legal and technical ramifications that come from having a social media platform that I think we're about to get into. Yes. So first, we're going to start with a little bit of what happened at the Capitol and also what happened with Parler and the big tech companies and then discussing our thoughts on all of that. As I'm sure everyone in the world knows, on Wednesday, January 6th, a protest against the Senate certifying the elector votes for President-elect Joe Biden turned into an attack on the U.S. Capitol, where rioters stormed the building, damaging property, stealing things from offices, and attempting to harm Congress members who were sheltering inside the building. An attack that also caused the deaths of five people, one of which who was a D.C. police officer. And many people blame President Trump for inciting the violence and not doing anything to prevent the attack, as well as the social media platform Parler, which was used by rioters to organize the event. After the attack, the big tech companies took action. Twitter permanently suspended Donald Trump's account. Facebook and Instagram suspended his account until after Inauguration Day, and YouTube made it so that he couldn't upload new videos or live streams for at least seven days. And as far as Parler goes, Apple and Google removed it from their app stores, and Amazon removed it from its web services, so Parler will have to find another company to host the site. This means that currently users cannot access Parler, like it's gone until it finds another company. And actually, I heard very recently that it has possibly found another web server to host it, but they're still working out the kinks on the website going live. Yeah, I would also like to add that TikTok and Shopify have banned Trump. Not that he was probably ever using them, but I like how other tech companies are trying to get out in front of this. Like he's going to yes. come and bring his self to their platform and trying to sell, I'm assuming, stickers on that platform. I, I guess. This is insane in that typically when you think of like these things happening, you're thinking about I'm trying to focus specifically on Parler. Yeah. The angle of Parler right here is there are lots of reasons why an app would be removed from an app store. Typically, it doesn't comply with terms of service. Actually, a big thing for Fortnite and a lot of apps in the Apple store because they want the transactions to go through the Apple store so they can get a cut of that, even though there's no logical reason for them to do that. I remember that. I remember Fortnite getting in trouble because they created something in the app to kind of sidestep that rule because, mm -hmm. well, it's cheaper for them. Like it would be cheaper for the consumers and for the people who make Fortnite. I'm forgetting the company now, but it's Epic Games. Epic. OK, God, how did I forget There's, that? I could tell you a whole weird saga of tech drama around Epic Games in so many tiers, but that's neither here nor there. My point is there's lots of stuff that has to go with what allows you to be on the platform. Mm hmm. And Parler is insane because in addition to basically violating their terms of service in that I think it was it had to do with building an app for harassment or for causing terrorism. The company said that they removed Parler because of failure to moderate threats of violence, mm -hmm. which violates their terms of service. Yeah. Apple said they literally had a day, like 24 hours to add moderation or they weren't going to be allowed to be on the app store anymore. Mm -hmm. But what takes this step further is we like to think a lot of the times of like, oh, this startup probably has like a few servers in the basement. Or if you ever seen like early photos from like when Google was starting out back in the early days of the Internet, there's like this Lego brick computer 
that is hosting a server inside of it. Like they just made the casing out of Legos because they literally just did not have the money or time or parts to get an actual case for their crazy setup. So we like to think of all these computers and apps being hosted on actual hardware that the people who run them are own, like Facebook probably owns them or Netflix probably owns servers. But in reality, Amazon and AWS is one of the biggest providers of computation service to pretty much every big app you can think of. Yeah, a lot of apps rent their server space from Amazon and use Amazon Web Services or AWS to build their platforms, like their website platforms. Yeah, and what's crazy here is The app is seen as being so egregious that Amazon itself, the place where you would think that the app would be hosted, is completely forbidding it. Like if they pulled it from the Play Store, you could technically still go get like the APK, the file that you download to actually install an app. You could get it from like Parler's website. Oh, I didn't realize that. Because a whole platform refuses to host them, there's nowhere for them to actually run it. They would either have to spin up their own server with their own actual hardware, which introduces a bunch of new problems around the actual, like getting access to the internet, making sure you have sufficient access to the internet, having load balancers, a whole slew of problems comes with not being able to just rent server space from one of these big cloud providers. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, it's this bigger problem of like, this is like a weird double side coin where like, I am a hundred percent on board with Parler not being around. I don't think that is a hot take at all. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, we don't need this. This this is a bad place. This is a bad thing. But at the same time, it makes you think about the incredible power some of these platforms have over who gets to say what, because it's really hard to exist on the internet without a place to actually host what you're doing. Yeah, it's kind of scary to see how quickly everything happened also, like how quickly Parler was up as a running app and a social media competitor to Twitter and then promptly removed from the Apple and Google stores, which is where you would most people would download the app for their phones. Mm -hmm. And then also the entire website removed. Like, it's scary to think that the heads of these tech companies decided we're not going to allow this. And then like immediately it happens and they're just gone. And again, I I agree that I like the idea of Parler being removed, but also it kind of worries me. Yeah, I think what makes this weird, like what kind of takes a step further is looking at how Trump got banned. Both Parler and Trump were pretty actively violating the terms of service that allowed everything from being a active user of a social media platform to being hosted on an app store or even on AWS, like all the service level agreements that you need to host the service or all the behavior you expect to allow you to be on these platforms. They were both violating like this is not like they suddenly were like, oh, Donald Trump says stuff that is not good. Yeah. Well, I guess we should do something. about. No, it was continued To be understood that his private account is problematic and that he's violating their terms of service, like actively violating them. But it was this moment that on the one hand, they finally were like, enough is enough. He's on his way out. Someone else is going to be coming in. So we technically don't have to deal with him. So there was like this whack-a-mole of him trying to like find different accounts, even the POTUS account where he could tweet from unfiltered. And he was having to go through this whole whack-a-mole of not being able to find an account where Twitter would actually let him actively post tweets without deleting them later. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But what really sucks is that it doesn't give a clear sense of consequence because he got to do so much awful stuff before he was finally banned that it, it doesn't provide proper cause and effect. Like if you have rules, you ideally want to enforce them consistently 
so that's very clear to anyone who's observing the platform. Oh, if I do this, it is bad and I will get banned. But because there's not proper cause and effect, it still says there is a huge amount of space right up until what finally got him banned that you can still do on those platforms without necessarily getting in trouble. And even though they've gone out of their way to ban alt-right and QAnon accounts, there's still a lot of gray area that people can operate in that's still problematic. Yes. And actually, let me read for you Jack Dorsey's comment on this, who is the head of Twitter, from a series of tweets he sent, quote, I do not celebrate or feel pride in our having the ban at real Donald Trump from Twitter or how we got here. After a clear warning, we take this action. We made a decision with the best information we had based on threats to physical safety both on and off Twitter. We faced an extraordinary, untenable circumstance, forcing us to focus all of our actions on public safety. Offline harm as a result of online speech is demonstrably real and what drives our policy and enforcement above all. Yes, we need more transparency in our moderation operations. All this can't erode a free and open global Internet. And let me read this part because you may particularly enjoy this, Cameron. The reason I have so much passion for hashtag Bitcoin is largely because of the model it demonstrates a foundational internet technology that is not controlled or influenced by any single individual or entity. This is what the internet wants to be, and over time, more of it will be. Okay, let me ask real fast. Did you add that just so that I could go on a 30-minute tirade about Bitcoin? <laughs> Was that your intention with adding that bit from his very weird letter? That's It's kind of weird. I added it not entirely because of that. I added that portion because it brings up a good point into how moderation should happen on the internet. Let me make sure I'm tracking. So the point is that we want a decentralized internet where you don't have basically like a weird oligarchy of like these big tech companies controlling who gets to say what, talk about what, have what accounts. Yes. There's definitely a truth that we want to invite freedom of the press, freedom of speech onto the internet and make sure that even though we don't think about these big tech companies, everyone from the, your service provider like Verizon or AT&T down to the actual company's platform upon which you tweet and post and share images, that there is a way for us to say what's really happening in an unfiltered way. Because there's been lots of cases in history where those platforms have been able to filter information in a way that becomes detrimental to, to the communities about which that information is. Like, was it the genocide in Myanmar? Wait, are you talking about the one that was orchestrated on Facebook? Yes. Yes. I was actually going to bring up that it's interesting that Parler got universally like cut by these companies, but also Twitter and Facebook have been used in other areas to incite riots and protests and just like acts of violence. Those platforms have been used and yet they're not completely removed. But that's probably because they are the big people in power right now. So they're not going to remove themselves. And that's also just the obnoxious part of what finally made it this moment. Like this was not the first time there were claims or calls for violence. Mm -hmm. But what made this moment the moment? And it's only one person. Okay, that's not true. There are lots of smaller accounts that are getting banned. But the point is that like this is only one of so many other questionable, if not dangerous movements on the Internet. So why now? I mean, that is a good question. And actually, that question goes with what Parler's thinking. So Parler has actually filed an antitrust lawsuit against Amazon, saying that Amazon was motivated by political animus 
to reduce competition to Twitter, which also uses AWS. So Parler thinks that this is all an attack on them because they were becoming a rival to Twitter. An antitrust case kind of only works if there's only like one server provider and somehow their control over server access makes them the winner. Like if AWS was like 99% of the internet exists on AWS and if you want to do business and be competitive with Twitter, the only place I can give you that capacity and power is AWS. That is probably the most straightforward way of thinking what an antitrust case against AWS would look like. That said, if I recall, Amazon is getting in hot water because it's eaten up so many smaller things and mm. it has AWS. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of talk of like breaking it up into AWS for just web services and then a separate company that is like their retail side and then a separate company that has Prime Video. Like they're not wrong. They're just not right in the way they want to be. I guess the problem here is like once Amazon takes this action and no one says they can't. A lot of other server providers like Microsoft Azure and Google Cloud can say exactly the same thing. They're like, no, we will not let you do it. AWS says you can't do it. Why would we let you do it? I guess let me pose this question to you, Cameron. Really, do you see anything concerning about this in the future? Do you see this being concerning that maybe this now is setting a precedent of what big tech companies can do and say, and if this is going to affect how the Internet operates? I think it's no secret that you have your big guys and if you can't really do business with them, then you're going to get shut out of a lot of spaces on the Internet. Mm -hmm. Like If you can't be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, that's a lot less people who are going to get to see your stuff because that's where a lot of the Internet hangs out. If you can't be on a major cloud provider like AWS, then your platform's just not going to get the support and infrastructure it needs to be successful, at least not in a way that we do now. So. On the one hand, I don't think it's like a new idea to recognize how messed up this is. What will really matter is what happens with this antitrust case and if it will force AWS to support Parler again. Because the big problem is if they take this antitrust case and it succeeds, I would imagine seeing a lot more antitrust cases similar to this. And if it doesn't succeed, would we start to see Amazon start to kick more people off of their services that they disagree with? That's a good point. It really comes from both sides. <laughs> yes. And you know what? I think this is a good moment to transition to another story I wanted to bring up in relation to Parler. Oh, there's more than getting kicked off of AWS. <laughs> yes. In fact, there is more. Hit me. And this is related to hacktivism. So before Amazon shut down the website, a hacker by the Twitter handle I'm going to try to pronounce this at donk and b and by it is d o n k underscore e n b y downloaded over 70 terabytes of parlor user data. Yes, I believe from what I've heard is pronounced donk and b. I have I'm not going to hold anyone to that. N b does b y make a b sound? I have no clue. <laughs> okay. I don't know why I should question this. You know what? Sure, it's Dunk and B. <laughs> go for it. They stream on Twitch. <laughs> All right. I don't know that. Don't, don't go looking at Twitch <laughs> for that. Don't at me for don't that. At me. <laughs> All right. So as I said, this person was able to download over 70 terabytes of Parler user data before the website was shut down. And the data they downloaded was not just people's posts. It was also videos and photos with metadata attached to it, like GPS positioning. Oh, uh, yes. OK. And let me guess. Let me let me take a whack at this. They collected this after the insurrection. Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, this is double terrible. So I, I think I've heard part of this story from the other side. 
when Parler went down, there was still a lot of desire to get the data because a lot of the people who were there who had already gotten kicked off of other platforms were posting what was going on in the Capitol to Parler, or at least trying to post it as soon as they got cell reception, mm-hmm. like later that day. And a lot of people want that data because that meant you could immediately identify and then go get and throw in jail the insurrectionists who went and attacked the Capitol and tried to threaten actual public figures' lives. They were actually chanting to kill members of the United States government and the United States Congress. Like that was just something you do. And so they needed to get all this data, right, to figure out who these people are. And this this data dump, this hack, it was extra special because normally when you post stuff on social media, social media platforms have like a bunch of like pipelines that take in the data and scrub it so that your privacy is protected. Like when you post an image on Instagram, makes it a square, throws on your filters, but also removes the location data and the phone data and a bunch of stuff that make it pretty easy for them to figure out who you are, like mm-hmm. based on your IP address, based on the phone's information, if there's any other information about your specific model of iPhone or your specific camera or something that can identify you. Because weirdly enough, all that information together can make it really easy for people to figure out who you are. Yeah. And Parler did none of those things. (laughs) They did absolutely none of it, which meant that you could not only figure out that they were definitely there. Like the, the geotag is more than enough information to prove that they were definitely there, but you could start using it to find these people. Yes. Yeah, so the idea was that this data, it's it's actually now uploaded to the Internet Archive for people to look through and possibly use to help the FBI arrest people. Were they already putting people on like the no fly list, like a bunch of people who want to leave after what happened found they suddenly couldn't get on an airplane as though walking into the Capitol and breaking property wasn't going to get them on a no fly list? Well, I don't know if it's related to this hack, but there I think at least a hundred people have been arrested so far regarding this incident. Actually, I did want to mention that Parler's recently helped the FBI with an investigation that they're doing. And that's a thing that apparently a lot of social media companies do when they're like subpoenaed, for instance, mm-hmm. is that they work with law enforcement in those cases. So Parler has actually helped a little bit in relation to things that have been on its platform. That's really interesting. I, I never thought about that. I know a lot of, if you read like the terms of service for a lot of platforms, they explicitly say like we have to comply with local law enforcement. So mm-hmm. there's a likely reason that you do not have data privacy because one way that they have to collect and then share your data is with law enforcement. Yeah, I guess I didn't think that Parler, the platform that went out of its way to not be Twitter and Facebook and all these other places would, I guess, still have that. that would, they would have to legally have that. Yeah, they would still have to follow laws. Yeah. Everything about this is making Parler seem like they're bad at being the thing they want to be. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're a bastion for all these radical beliefs, except we cannot be those things. Otherwise, we literally cannot exist. Well, I mean, not to plug our past episode again, but we kind of covered that before in our previous Parler episode of how there's just a particular challenge in designing a platform that was what they wanted to design, like just because of how the Internet works and rules around it. But I bring up this story because I want to Get your thoughts on hacktivism or like activism revolving around hacking. I'm pretty sure that's where the (laughs) phrase comes, right? Yeah. Like, what are the ethics around that? So I want to start by saying the word hacking is a weird word because I think a lot of people, when they think of it, they think of 
some trick to break into systems and get access to lots of data or get access to a system in a way that you're not supposed to be able to. Yeah. And hacktivism can mean building tools and apps that enable activists to interact in a way that subverts what law enforcement is trying to do if they were maybe trying to like shut down cell towers, being able to have a Bluetooth network to communicate where all the phones are linked. This was something that was happening during the Hong Kong protests, actually. I feel like I may, maybe I heard this story or just created out thin air of people creating tools to avoid like facial recognition software things. Have you heard anything related to that? I don't necessarily know about how a f- specific app could help with that, but that doesn't sound out of the realm of what would be happening. Basically, Hacking is trying to use your computer skill or your abilities as a person who has this craft to do things that aren't typical. It doesn't necessarily mean getting malicious access to a computer. In this case, it does because they definitely (laughs) broke into a server they weren't supposed to. But I think hacktivism is trying to put a real emphasis on like this is a skill that has so many implications beyond just commercial gain. It has the power to empower and change how we view technology, how we view power structures. And it's really cool. Like, I think one of my favorite hacktivist things was this art project I learned about at Carnegie Mellon. I really got to find the guy's name, but he basically wrote a script that he installed on MacBooks in Apple stores that all it would do was while someone was interacting with it, it would randomly take a picture with the webcam on the MacBook and send it to this place. And then he just composed a giant gallery of like all these photos of people just randomly in this Apple Mac store. Ooh, that's kind of creepy to me. It is. It's like on one side, it's beautiful because it's this candid collection of people just going about their day looking at consumer products. On the other hand, it's creepy in a way that like I think part of what he was trying to do was bring up this fact that we're being surveilled like this all the time. Mm. Like being out in public, if I take a photo of my friend and you're in the background, you're still in it. You're still out in the world and your existence out there doing something is still being recorded in some way. That's true. You know, it's kind of shocking how how this person was able to put that on like a computer in an Apple store. Yeah, it's it's actually not very sophisticated code. Like as long as you can actually get into the computer and the computer doesn't have you're not interacting with a system that needs like admin access. Mm-hmm. You can do a lot of stuff. So what he was doing, I guess, based on how Macs are set up in Apple stores. Wasn't particularly hard, although when they found out about it, they got really upset and like had to make sure that. Oh, go figure. That is the flip side of this. But I think hacktivism in general is like a really powerful thing in that it enables, I guess, use technology in a way that feels socially right as opposed to just focus on commercial gain. Now I want to ask your thoughts on, I guess, the flip side of this is that I'm assuming a lot of hacktivism, maybe not a lot, at least some portion of hacktivism will involve things that are illegal or like actions that are breaking some kind of law and doing, but they're doing so anyway for a good purpose. Like, how do you weigh the pros and cons of that? This is starting to enter this weird gray area, a weirder gray area of weighing what you think is right versus what society thinks is right, where society typically doesn't reflect the people, but it reflects whatever the power structures say. I wonder if you were leading me to this the whole time, but very recently under the Trump presidency, they pushed to get rid of climate data. Mm -hmm. And people at, I think it was EPA for climate data having to do with, with global warming. But basically what happened was he wanted them to delete this data and they chose to instead make it accessible to everyone. And also I think Oxford and MIT were like copying like terabytes of data. Yeah, if I recall what they did and... 
I can't remember which agency it was, but what they did was they put it on the website. So because it was publicly available on the website, people could then go and download it. Like universities could Mm -hmm. go and download all of this stuff before it was removed. Exactly. And something similar happened with COVID-19 data in Florida. Florida data scientist Rebecca Jones was fired and a bunch of her personal computers and personal um, effects were seized because she refused to delete this data and was trying to make sure that it wasn't removed. Yeah, she was kind of a whistleblower on this whole incident, if I recall. I think her personal home got raided by police. Yeah, and it's genuinely terrifying when you see what it's like for, like, imagine you're just a person and you've done something that you cannot imagine would result in your home being raided by, like, fully armed tactical gear Mm -hmm. police. Like, imagine being on the wrong end of a swatting. That's exactly what it what happened to her. Swatting, for anyone who doesn't know, is the act of calling in suspicion of something so severe that typically a SWAT team, a special weapons and tactics team, would be called in to actually raid a home, which has resulted in deaths. Oh, wait a minute. I was about to make like a fun joke of like, oh, is that the verb you use when the SWAT team's called in? But no, are you referring to when like people maliciously like report something so that a SWAT team would be called in on someone like people playing pranks on someone and doing yeah, that? Like people who know where live streamers live will SWAT them. Yeah. And people have died as a result. She had, probably had the same suspicion of having law enforcement rain down on her like this that any of us would have minding our own business. Mm-hmm. And as a result, puts for a very dangerous situation where this woman could have been killed. So I guess just to bow on it, hacktivism is typically using the technology and computer science to promote civil disobedience. Fortunately, unfortunately, depending on, I guess, your own worldview, this can be a good or bad thing. If you're trying to bring about change to systems of power that you disagree with, you're trying to end racism, you're trying to end economic inequality. Those are usually pretty good drivers. But when you look at other sides of what can result from types of activism, like we saw during the instruction, it really is like, I, I have no way of telling you whether any case is good or bad. I mean, it kind of comes with like the end of is someone a whistleblower and exposing this really bad thing that's happening. So yes, this person maybe violated, like committed a crime, but they were doing so in exposing a really heinous thing from going on. Or is it on the other end of this person committing a crime and no good is coming from it kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like at the end of the day, there's going to be so many different situations and it's hard to judge one against the other, especially when you have to remember that a lot of your own personal worldviews go into whether or not you think some of these things are right. That said, insurrections are wrong. Everything (laughs) that happened is wrong. Creating a place where radical ideas that lead to insurrections is wrong and inciting insurrections is wrong. So I think all the parties we've referred to up until now being Parler and Mr. Trump's actions leading to the instruction, wrong. I'm saying that I want to be as clear as possible. I'm not trying to defend any part of that with this statement. I believe in hacktivism to a degree. And with that, I think it's time to wrap up this episode. Well, Sam, I feel like we talked about a lot of cool stuff, but I feel like we only talked about them. I feel like other people went and did the heavy lifting of providing valuable sources. Where would I find those sources? You would find those sources right down in the show notes. Ooh. And along with the show notes, would we find any sort of maybe links or ways people could get in touch with us? Yes, you can find links to our social media. Hit us up at Sample Size Show. And of course, a big shout out to our editor, Scott. You can find his information down in the show notes. Sam, I do believe you tried to bait me with a Bitcoin reference earlier in this episode. Are we going to talk about Bitcoin at some point in the near future? 
may, Cameron. I feel like we have to because I know you have a love of blockchain and maybe I hate a Bitcoin. Yeah. And ideally, by the time this episode comes out, I will have released I'm working on a YouTube video about Bitcoin and just my absolute raw fury against this digital currency. It's I'm upset, but not for the reasons you think. I encourage anyone listening to this, if you want more supplemental material, to go check out that video. I was going to say, don't reveal too much. Go to YouTube. Check out at Wildcard Cameron. All right. Well, it's been a very awkward start to the year. So in the immortal words of Stephen Dubner, and I'm actually pretty sure he's been quoting someone else this whole time, but I'm going to take it. Please take care of yourself. And if you can, someone else. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.